that. Uh, good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Uh, I should say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on <laughs> where what you're at. Kind of, uh, yeah, or what kind of schedule people are on. So we all run different things. It's uh, a beautiful day. It looks like it, it was outside and it was kind of misting. We have um, a yard full of uh, oh, cherry pickers and things. We had uh, we lost a bunch of trees during the that April blizzard or ice storm. So they're out here. Uh, you know, we have we always call them hangers, things that hang up in the trees, large sure. limbs, and I don't feel comfortable climbing up in that stuff. So, uh, Gordy Ebnen, a friend, is out here, and he has a tree service, and he's out here hacking away and sawing everything up. And a neighbor, Duke Tukwa, burns wood, so he's going to come over and glom onto all the pieces that are good for uh, a stove. So it's all working out, I guess, but I'll, I'll sure miss some of the trees. It's just, you know, it's a lifetime. I walked in the mailbox, a couple of gray partridges. I started startled them in flight. I hardly ever see them. They are here, but uh, it was cool seeing them. I'm just sorry I frightened them. I, I, I saw a couple of pheasants, too, I was going to say. Have you seen pheasants lately? I've seen some of those out, which kind of surprises me because I don't recall seeing many of those in the past. I was in, uh, I spoke at Good Earth Village mm-hmm. yesterday over at Spring Valley, and I saw a lot of pheasants. They were oh, all okay. roosters that I saw, but uh, there were a lot of them over there compared to what I have uh, at home. I just don't see much of them here. I watched a male cardinal. He's been feeding his mate uh, all over the yard. Everywhere I look, it seems he's there. I'm always surprised to see a cardinal other than in its preferred habitat, which, of course, you folks know is a Christmas card. Uh, Male goldfinches are just, they're making a lemon drop day. Uh, I looked at, uh, my eyes were drawn to a dead tree where there was a great blue heron, a turkey vulture, and two starlings perched. And I guess I'm easily amused, but uh, that thrilled me for some reason. I'm hearing house wrens sing a song that a bird the size of an eagle should be singing. Uh, Chipping sparrow is trilling out here more like an insect than like Elvis Presley. And a visit to a local lake showed a double-crested cormorant. It's like a blue-eyed lowrider. It uh, settles in the water like a loon. And I'm seeing baby, um, well, goslings. Canada goose goslings, seeing quite a few of them around. It was my pleasure to speak at the Wings and Wetlands Festival in Great Bend, Kansas. And the festival is uh, centered on Cheyenne Bottoms and Quivira National Wildlife Refuge. They're just two of America's best birding spots. Uh, Ran into some friends there and just um, had a great time. And the great wisdom of the world was evident as there were always more birds and birders. Cheyenne Bottoms is the largest inland marsh in the U.S. It's 41,000 acres of marsh. And I visited a wonderful Kansas Wetlands Education Center. Uh, my first field trip, I uh, found a motionless American bittern pretending to be marsh vegetation and a sneeze of a misty and foggy morning. In my boyhood years, this bird was called a slew pump. A neighbor called them slew pumpers because of its loud uh, unka chunk or pumper lunk call. 
Others called it a uh, belcher, squelcher, thunder pumper, stake driver, and oh, just an endless other variety of names. And this one just froze in place with its bill pointed skyward, swaying side to side, hoping to be mistaken for reeds. <clears throat> I pointed out a sedren for some avid birders from uh, New Mexico, which was one of their target birds, and I listened as I told them that I was pro-sedren. Oh, what an odd guy, says odd things. Uh, way to take a stand, I thought. I pointed out a skink in a Kansan that was walking with me, told me that when I see a lizard, it's a sign of rain. I smiled in disbelief, but it rained anyway. <laughs> in his song, It Can't Happen Here, Frank Zappa warbled, who could imagine that they would freak out somewhere in Kansas? And I'm going to use a definition of freak out indicating heightened excitement and conclude that Zappa was watching birds at Cheyenne Bottoms or Quivira when he wrote that. And I might add another line in that song said, who could imagine that they would freak out in Minnesota? Well, we all could imagine that. Uh, John Nelson. John is from beautiful Buford. He said, I saw a juvenile summer tanager at his grape jelly feeders, very spooky and not welcomed by Orioles. He also saw lots of shorebirds at a flooded field east of Perch Lake. Two savannah sparrows there yesterday as well. First rose-breasted grosbeak was on May 4th, and the first gray catbirds and Baltimore Orioles on May 5th. Mark Monlux says, I've noticed that the juncos have taken off. I've been uh, inconsistent with the food, and the goldfinches have flown away also, but I'm going to try to get them back. Maggie Mao said, uh, Al, the poem is so beautiful, expresses so perfectly what we can feel, want to feel, and actually sometimes do feel. And she was listening. I, I mentioned a, a bit of a poem uh, from Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets. She's, uh, Maggie said, I'm going to copy it and put it up somewhere. My church secretary once changed the announcement of our yearly bazaar to yearly bazaar. So it went from B-A-Z-A-A-R to B-I-Z-Z-A-R-E. And I know uh, as somebody's been on church board, sometimes it's probably appropriate. <laughs> and uh, Maggie also said that one of our early Detroit Lakes burning days, the local newspaper reported that a least sandpiper was sighted, and they spelled it L-E-A-S-E-D. And it's supposed to be the least, not the most, the least. So it was like a sandpiper that you could rent. Uh, Doug Keezer said in Rice County there's a white-faced ibis in the wetlands there. In Waseca County there was a Clark's Grebe on Loon Lake. Emil Anderson said we have a red-headed woodpecker at our sunflower and corn feeders, first we've had since 2010. I'm thrilled. Cindy Drill of North Mankato said on Wednesday I was watching a white-crowned sparrow browsing in the perennial bed after work when a male oriole briefly landed in my magnolia. I've had a pretty full day, and that was a, and was a nice touch. I also had a couple little warblers as well as a thrush at the pond, a female rose-breasted grosbeak at front feeder, my first hummingbird. I well remember that my very first sighting of an indigo bunting was on Mother's Day. Kimberly Wilcox, and Kimberly is spelled K-I-M-E-R-L-Y, so no B in there, so I think it's Kimberly. 
Uh, I was excited to see a male northern oriole uh, and a male roast-breasted grosbeak in our backyard. Had to scramble to get our oriole feeder up. The deck where it usually hangs out is being rebuilt. The feeder is currently in less than ideal spot. Too much people and dog traffic until I can find a better one. Now I have to figure out where to put the hummingbird feeder, also previously on the deck, in anticipation of the hummer's arrival, which is usually around the same time as orioles and grosbeaks. We also have a lot of white-throated sparrows and some butterbutts hanging around under the seed feeders. Carol Lang of Albert Lee said, Good morning, Al. have a bird I assume is a sparrow, but not sure which one, so need your help. He was in tall weed and grass by my Black Hill spruce, and the photos were taken through a very dirty window. He was small at first thought it was a wren, and then noticed the tail was not up and the ticking on his breast. Also had what I think was a palm warbler, but only saw it for a second, as when I looked in my bird book, at first I thought it was a Cape May, but I don't think it had white on the wing took me by surprise as it flew into the window after it landed on the hydrangea directly below the window and I did not have my camera ready. 23 varieties of birds at my place so far this morning. I, yeah, it more than likely was a palm warbler and as far as the other bird, thanks for the photos, Carol, and those are Lincoln's sparrows. Lincoln's sparrows, cute little guys and seems to be a lot of them this year and because of weather, I think they hung around. Uh, Mike Webb at the Lime Creek Nature Center in Mason City, the scissor tail flycatcher. And it was there for quite a few days. Uh, sadly, it passed. Uh, it died. And I, who knows what was wrong with it, but uh, it was uh, cool that a lot of people got to see it anyway. Uh, Tim Pula said the annual Minneopa State Park bird count will be Saturday, June 1st from 7 to 11. We'll meet at the group camp parking lot at 7 a.m. to get area assignments and meet up again at 11 to tally the totals. We usually get 65 to 75 species each year and have totaled over 100 species in the 20 years of the count. How many people and usually show up for those counts, Al? Do you have any idea? I was just curious. You see that many birds, but how many people are actually counting them? You know, I don't know, and oh. I have uh, I have been at them, and I still don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, if anybody's interested in being there, uh, let me know, and I can get you in touch with Tim. He'd like to know, and it's fun. I remember being out with Merrill Frydendahl, and we found Henslow sparrows, and just just had a really nice time. So it's a a fun thing, no pressure, and. Uh, you're not graded or anything. It's just a good time, and um, they usually would hook you up with somebody if you're new at it that's been doing it. So it, it's always fun to be at Minneopa State Park. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. And I can't make it this year because we have all kinds of graduations this year. Man, we've got them from uh, Sleepy Eye to New Richland to Albert Lee to New Alm to Mankato, Loyola. Uh, Fairmont, Blue Earth, we just have them scattered all over. So it's uh, and it's fun. You have to really pace yourself as far as what you eat because it it's polite to eat something at each and every place. But uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, just a little bit at um, each place. You have to, to to pace yourself. That's exactly right. And I always 
think uh, I tell him, Gail, I'm going to put one of those little plastic bags in my pocket and oh. just flip things into my pocket. But she, I think, she doesn't uh, like that. No, yeah. she's ruled that that's not going to happen. <laughs> I said, well, nobody'd be surprised. She said, well, that's probably true. But uh, Bob Bystrom said uh, that species that I have never had have never visited our suet feeder before have been doing that the last two weeks. This includes song sparrows, brown thrashers, catbirds, orioles, and red-winged blackbirds. Robins, juncos, white-throated sparrows, and Lincoln sparrows haven't clung to the suet chunks, but they are eating particles on the ground. Uh, Tim Poulos, again, uh, Tim sent a, just a, it's a cool photo, and it, he got home, he was in Italy. Oh, man, lucky guy. And he looked out his dining room window, and in a bush two feet away was a robin's nest with three blue eggs. Also in the nest was a small fox snake trying to get its mouth around one of the eggs, but couldn't quite do it. Uh, I intervened and flipped the tail <laughs> of the snake, which turned on me, coiling up and flipping its tail like a rattlesnake. I snapped a photo and backed off and shut the shade, but peeked out of the slats. And the robin came in and kicked the snake out of the nest. She has dutifully sat on the nest through yesterday's rain could, and actually spread her wings to keep out the rain and the cold. Could could that uh, snake have gotten the egg in its mouth if it kept trying? I mean, or, or are they just too big? It, yeah, this one was too small. A, a bigger so the snake was snake too, okay. Could. Yeah, so this poor little guy, you know, he was being bothered by a human couldn't get the egg down, and then a robin came in and kicked his butt. It was just a bad day to be a fox How snake. many fox snakes are, it, are there, Al? Because, you know, I, I've seen lots of garden snakes or garter snakes, but I don't know that I've ever seen a fox snake, yet supposedly they're around here, or maybe I'm just not looking in the right place. Yeah, they, they sure are, and um, I get quite a few uh, reports from folks that have seen fox snakes, and they are, they, they're beautiful. You know, snakes get a bad rap, and I know a lot of you listening are having a shudder run up and down <laughs> your spine just at the thought of it, but they, are, um, they are, are common, and they get pretty large. I don't know how to describe them. They, they have big, dark blotches. Uh, on them, and they give off a musky odor similar to that of a red fox when you handle them, and I think that's how they got their name probably was that. But I read once, and I want to say it was five feet long. They can be up to five feet long, so this is a very, very large snake. a fox snake? Yeah. So we have uh, five-feet snakes is what you're telling me, Al? We could. Oh my know. lord! And I, you know, but they, they don't bite, do they? Or do, can they hurt you? Because now I'm now I'm sitting there thinking of all the gardening I do, and I've never seen one. And if I think I saw I saw a five foot one, I would have think somebody's pet, um, you know, whatever cobra got out or something. Yeah, they will rattle their tail um, or shake their tail, but they're not venomous. Uh, but, but they could bite they you. Shake their tail. Could they bite you? Oh, they will. Sh- they will strike at you, but mainly they shake their tails and hiss. And uh, you know, most everything can bite, but you wouldn't yeah. have to worry about it. More than anything, they just—it scares you, probably. Right. They, but Oof. yeah, they're uh, pretty cool. They do not have rattles, and uh, their head has oh, a black line from eye to 
eye to the jaw and another between the eyes so i guess i said that already but it's uh, they're neat animals but but this little fox snake was just having a bad day nobody believed he was a rattlesnake and it was just it was just one of those days uh pamela freeman said i saw a hummingbird this morning first one also i uh, saw male rose-breasted grosbeaks uh, lots of white-throated sparrows everywhere, kicking up a storm on the ground. Uh, the fox sparrows seem to have moved on. Uh, Brian Smith, uh, Brian's a wonderful guy from Sleepy Eye, is seeing a bullock's oriole at his feeder, and he said Mike Etkin came over and was able to get some good pictures of it with his Canon camera. Uh, at one time, bullocks and Baltimore orioles were they were lumped together and they were called northern orioles and then with all the dna testing and that there's separate areas where these things live they decided that that's not true so now they're baltimore oriole and bullocks oriole again if you see a male uh, looks like a, a baltimore oriole but he has an orange face kind of an orange head except they have a black cap as opposed to the black face and head of a Baltimore Oriole male. So orange face versus black face or orange head versus a black head. Uh, Betsy Crawford of Fairmont said, Our family has become avid bird watchers over the last couple of years. We live close to a large lake bottom that attracts a wide variety of birds, especially during migratory seasons. This evening we were looking for a cardinal with singing. I spotted a little ping-pong ball with tiny stick legs and itty-bitty beak almost hovering from branch to branch. He looked as if he were a hummingbird that was pumped full of air. I never got a clear look at him, just his gray body and a pretty definitive white stripe that went across the upper part of his wing. I searched and searched, and what I think it is is a ruby-crowned kinglet. It was the cutest bird I have ever seen. Just wondering if I could be right in identifying it and how common they are in southern Minnesota. Um, Boy, Betsy, you nailed it. That's what it is. They are fairly common. They pass through here, but we do get to see them. Typically, we will see the golden crown kinglets first and then the ruby crown, and they flip their wings as they feed, and we assume that that's in an attempt to scare prey out from their hiding place so they can eat them. Uh, Russ Hohenstein. Russ is from Blanco, Texas. And Russ said, with hundreds of live oaks and Spanish oaks, we were gifted with hundreds of blue jays every spring. Then West Nile hit. Every morning when I fed and wherever I went, I scanned the ground for a dead blue jay. C1, you had to vaccinate your stock. One morning, there it was, feet up floating in the water trough. Drain the trough, get the vaccine, vaccinate about 40 donkeys. But now we don't have any blue jays. Zero, zilch, not a none. Well, I hope they come back, Russ. Uh, Steve Elkins said uh, last week it was Sparrow Day in her back deck. Lincoln Sparrow, Fox Sparrow, Swamp Sparrow, American Tree Sparrow, Chipping Sparrow, and Dark-Eyed Junko. Verna Erickson Hoppy said, Al, what do you think this is? What do you think of this? I'm sorry. I have a robin that chases all other birds from the grape jelly. Orioles, catbird, doves, and even a crow. It eats jelly and suet. What can I do about this psycho bird? Well, it's an (laughs) anger management problem. You know, I 
I'd take it to HR. Is what I, <laughs> I, I, I would hope it would stop soon. I, you know, try to be understanding. It's having a bad day, and uh, sometimes birds figure out they can do things, and then they do them. Uh, Joyce Street says spring seems to have finally arrived. My Snow Glories and Star of Bethlehem are pretty, and now the violets and wild watercress are doing their thing. The bellflowers are blooming, wild ginger too. Uh, there are mountains of sticks to be picked up. I said she saw the first two, Sunday and Monday, she saw the first two Baltimore Orioles in a gross beak. So the next day I had them all over the place. Also orchard Orioles. Uh, goldfinches in their beautiful colors, house finches, some hummingbirds, white-throated sparrows, a pair of indigo buntings, robins and grackles, and red-winged blackbirds. And there was one stranger that showed up Wednesday. I think it might be a warbler, but if so, was not any of the ones I remember from bird walks with mom when I was a kid. And she sent me some photos of it. And it, at the end of her email, she said, Tennessee Warbler, maybe? And boy, yeah, Joyce got it right, too. It's a Tennessee Warbler. It's a little male Tennessee Warbler. Uh, Thomas, oh gosh, Maiello, M-A-I-E-L-L-O, was at Minneopa State Park. He said, did a thrill of seeing a blue-winged warbler, golden-winged warbler, many rose-breasted gross beaks, indigo bunting, blue-gray gnat catcher, yellow warbler. The wildest part of the weekend was having a huge bird fly about 30 feet over our heads and clumsily plop into tree branches some 75 feet high and perch. It took a few looks and stunned misidentifications until we realized it was a female turkey. Audrey Shepard. Audrey said, Al, I have a bird question. We have a family of sandhill cranes with two of the cutest babies you have ever seen who have taken up residence near our yard. The food is good. The question is, after long periods of watching, one baby sticks with one parent. Does Dad take the boy and Mom take the girl? <laughs> oh, gosh, Audrey. I, I have no clue. Uh, it's just really hard to tell the difference, uh, even with the adults. I think the the male crane would probably be bigger than the female, but it's still hard to tell. And with the little ones, it's impossible, unless they're banded or something. So, man, Audrey, I am so sorry. I just, I know I let you down, but I have no clue. Hey, Al, uh, I, I'd like you yeah. to uh, maybe help ease my guilt a little bit. Yesterday, I was sure. out um, digging some ferns. I've got a lot of ferns, you know, how they spread in the side of my yard and and between the air conditioner and the the wall of the house all of a sudden there was a lot of movement and scurrying and there was a big mama bunny and three baby bunnies and i caught the three three of the four baby bunnies and because i don't want them there because you know how they eat everything so i um got a big flower pot and put the three babies bunnies that i caught in i couldn't find the fourth and then i took the nest out which is a lot of fur and grass and different things and I put it on on them so they didn't get cold that was my justification and then I thought what do I do with these so I called the local humane society they don't take baby bunnies I called the local pound they don't want baby bunnies I called the DNR wildlife uh, people they don't want baby bunnies and then I thought what do I do with these baby bunnies because Al has told me before chances are if you trap an animal and take it out of its home base it's not going to live because it'll just get chased out 
by the resident other animals there. And so with a heavy heart, I drove <laughs> out in the country and um, not near anybody's house and uh, found a few uh, a stand of a grove of pine trees with some grass because I read, you know, put them by grass. And I kind of dug a little hole and put the little nest in there and I put the bunnies and then I quickly drove away and said a little prayer. <laughs> and I feel so bad because I think that they're going to die. But, you know. Yeah. You know, um, they're so cute. Little everythings are, are they cute. They are and... cute. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, they were so little that I could catch them, obviously. And their eyes yeah. were open, though, then, but still, I felt bad. Then we don't feel so well about them after they're eating things in our garden. Right. And I guess the thing that rabbits have going for them is this remarkable reproductive capacity. <laughs> I know. So we will have rabbits, I guess, no matter what happens. Uh, little rabbits get independent at a very early age, so they are, are just kind of kicked out of the out of the family unit and say, here you go, oh, you're on your own. Good luck to you. So, you know, uh, I... I certainly couldn't say that <clears throat> they wouldn't survive. Who knows? They're uh, they're just um, amazing creatures, as are all things on Earth. Well, I'm hoping if they, a, if they a, Al, a I'm nice hoping if they do die, it's from Ms. Lona. Okay. Of an indigo bunting on her deck. So it's my wife's favorite bird. So Ms. Lona sent that along, and boy, that was awfully nice of her. Uh, Rosemary Ludowisi, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Rosemary. She said that she had Baltimore Orioles uh, for Mother's Day, so that was very nice. Uh, Karen Shellstead of Fairmont, uh, Baltimore Orioles are singing. And Millie Wethlin of Hayward asked if Orioles eat marshmallows. You know, they do, Millie. I, I've seen people in the lower Rio Grande Valley in Texas feeding marshmallows to Orioles and other birds. If an Oriole in your yard is wearing a cowboy hat, it'll likely be used to chowing down on marshmallows. Uh, but are they good for the birds? I don't know. Uh, you know, a dedicated s'mores eater, I know, claims that marshmallows are a health food. And there's a birthday, Nero. He's at the uh, the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. No, he's at the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota. Is celebrating his 45th birthday, and they had a party up there. So Nero is a turkey vulture, 45 years old. I would have never guessed one of those would live that long. I know everything lives longer in captivity. but. And finally, I hope you all come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always the Heimlich Maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I was in um, Mayo Clinic in Rochester the other day going through those normal test days that you go through. And they always have the forms, the clipboards in the forms. And a nurse is filling one out. She asked if I was still working. And I know that's a required question. Then she asked me what I did. I don't believe that was a required question. I think in the exam room was backed up a little bit, so she had to use up some time. And so, Or maybe she asked that of most patients. She, she asked it to be nice and to calm patients, perhaps. She wanted patience to be on her side. She was very nice. 
And I thought, well, being me is a full-time job, just as being you is for you. I considered answering that I was a writer and a speaker, because I am, but I replied I was a storyteller. It was one word that covers all. And she asked if that required much travel. Well, I do travel regularly. And folks, you know, if you travel much, it's spinning plates. I'm nomadic. Travel can be isolating and draining. It can make a person feel as if he is at a birthday party of a complete stranger where he knows no one there. A cell phone certainly helps. The life of an itinerant speaker wouldn't make a good reality TV show. Traveling rarely goes according to plan. Bad weather attacks, pothole-filled roads become an antique road show. I get odd directions like this. Follow me and turn left when I go straight. I'm thrilled when I make the right turn. I forget about the wrong turns. Each mistake is as memorable as the time Moses parted the waters of the wrong sea. You don't remember hearing about that? That's how unimportant it was. Remember, folks, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey, John from New Ulm, um, boy, my thoughts are with your sister as she's going through what she's going through, and I, I hope for the best. Karen, thanks always for your exquisite company. I appreciate you. Thanks, Al. We appreciate you, too. Until next time, happy bird watching. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Very 